If anybody has a Bible with you, you can turn to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, or you can follow along on the screen behind me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are grateful to be here this morning. Grateful, Lord, for your presence. Grateful, Lord, for your promises. Grateful, Lord, that you are faithful to us. Grateful that you came for us, that when we could not get to where you were, Jesus, you came for us. And so we are so grateful for the reality of who you are and what you're doing in our lives. And so, Lord, as we go into this Christmas season, we ask that you would remind us. Remind us of how wonderful you are. Remind us of the price that was paid. And, Lord, may our hearts be filled with that reality during this season. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Everybody says, Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. It says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious light of uh, glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This morning I want to share a message with you that I've entitled, Let's Talk About Jesus. Uh, so we've, we've now officially entered into the Christmas season. I know Hallmark's been showing movies since October. Um, and so I know that we, we are moving into the Christmas season. Uh, Thanksgiving has come and gone. We're eat, still eating leftovers from, from... Jamil, it's good to have you here this morning. Thank God. We're, we're glad to have you, Jamil. Um, thank, it's good to see you up here singing with us, coming down and hanging out with us all the way from, from Clarksburg, West Virginia by way of Chesapeake, or from Chesapeake by way of Clarksburg. I don't know. I don't know where you're from. Uh, but anyway, how many of you are still eating leftovers from Thanksgiving? Yeah. Most of you, maybe some of you have already thrown it out. But how many different ways can you eat turkey, right? Are you a turkey guy? Caleb, you can like turkey. Um, and so now preparation for Christmas has started or has already begun. As you see, we've already done it here. How many of you got your trees out already? Lights up. Got lights up, right? Okay. Seems a little backward, right? We're going to take this tree and put it in here. We're going to take these lights and put it out there. Um, so all the decorations during this time, they're going to be displayed. All the Christmas movies will be watched and quoted, right? You have to quote them. And all the Christmas playlists will fill the air wherever you go. Some of you, you know, the radio stations are already playing the Christmas songs, uh, some of you already turned on your playlist. Some of you have already sang Mariah Carey to the top of your lungs, and it sounds awful. We all admit that there's a spirit, there's a feeling that comes along with Christmas time. Uh, we, we all recognize that during this holiday season, there's, there's always a, a, some type of, uh, of sense about the excitement or the energy in the air. And, you know, we talk about this every year. There's really a lot of emotions that come with the holiday season, everything from, from joy and peace to stress and, and, and worry to, uh, you know, 
all kinds of, we, we run the gamut during the holiday seasons, all the way from Thanksgiving to, to Christmas time. And so, what, but one of the coolest things I believe about the season that is in spite of or in the middle of all the commercialization and all the secularization of our holiday, you cannot ignore the story of Jesus. Uh, during the Christmas season, no matter what, how many holiday movies we may make or how many Christmas songs can be sung or uh, no matter how many uh, things that we may see in, in our culture that tries to, to, to winterize Christmas or tries to secularize Christmas, we all know that the underlying reason behind why we celebrate this holiday is a man called Jesus. The whole reason why we celebrate this is is not just for the songs and just for the music and for the gifts and the trees and the gathering together of family and eating all kinds of food. We, We understand that that's all part of the holiday tradition. But we recognize that no matter how far away we get from that, if we're going to go back to the reason why we even celebrate this holiday is because of Jesus. How many of you know people who like to talk? They talk, they talk a lot. How many of you know people that talk too much? Don't point at anyone. Right? But the fact of the matter is, if you give, if you give people the right subject, almost anybody will talk. Even introverted people will open up and start talking if you give them a subject that they like to talk about. If you can find that one subject that gets them going, there are some people that just won't stop talking. And you know the kind of people that I'm talking about when you're out shopping, you have to like cut into a store to avoid them, right? It's not that you don't like them, you just know if I get stuck, I am stuck. Can't get away from these people. Some of you, you work with these kind of people. Right? They show up in your office door, and as soon as they come into the door, you're like, well, there goes the day. Right? But we, we know that most people will talk if you give them the right subject to talk about. And there's all kinds of subjects to talk about, and we take up a lot of time talking about them. And sometimes these conversations can stir up a little bit of controversy. You ever been in a conversation where you immediately know everything got uncomfortable? We were having a good day until you started talking. Now everybody's uncomfortable. Thanks a lot. But there are some conversations that really make a difference in our lives. We've all had convos where we've had with our parents, our spouses, our friends that have affected us deeply. Conversations that that give us direction or give us needed advice uh, that help us get where we are today. All of us can admit that we have those kinds of people in our lives that we would seek out. We want them to talk to us. We're trying to find them so that they will speak into our lives. And then also, many of us know of conversations that have hurt us, that have left marks on our hearts that we'll never forget. Words that were spoken that were meant to discourage or demean. These conversations may have been able, may have even kept you from being able to really grow or or to move on and and you struggle with hearing those voices in your head. I'm not going to ask how many of you have had those kind of conversations in your life because I'm sure that you have. And typically, these kind of conversations that leave these hurtful marks or scars on our lives come from those that we've trusted the most, those that we love the most, those the ones that we thought we could pour our hearts out to. All of us have probably been stabbed in the back, talked about and talked to put down and, and said that we don't amount to anything or can't make it or somebody's always going to point out 
where you failed and how you're not going to make it and you're going to try and just mess up. Anybody had those kind of people in your life? And still yet, there are those filler conversations. Those filler conversations where we just don't really know what to talk about. We're just trying to find things to talk about to fill the time or to avoid the awkwardness. All of us have had those kind of conversations. Preachers will even get into that because preachers don't like for there to be a law or a silence. They want to keep preaching. So that's why you have preachers that have Pentecostal hiccups, right? They get into those sermons where they're saying, God uh, said that he wants to uh, touch your life today, uh, right? Those are called Pentecostal hiccups. Or you'll have preachers that just insert words like hallelujah or amen or praise the Lord just because they don't want to be quiet, right? The Lord said hallelujah, that we should follow after him, praise the Lord, and that we should bless, right? Can't be quiet. If you get quiet, it's awkward, right? So it's filler conversations. We're just talking about the weather or talking about something that we just happen to spot or see, right? But we know that good conversations stay with us. They normally lift us up. They, they, they leave us feeling encouraged. They leave us feeling like that we've, we've done something. And that's what's so great about the Christmas season. Everything about this time is centered around the themes of love and grace and giving and joy and family and friendship. Like I say, even the non-Christian-based songs or the non-Christian-based movies or things that we see, they're still based upon these same subjects. These same subjects of love and, and, and joy and grace and giving and, and family and friendship, right? Unless you're watching Bad Santa or, you know, A, a Violent Night. That's, I guess some of you probably already went and seen. I don't even know if it's out yet, but Santa's out killing people. Right? But most of the time when we watch these movies, it's, it's not Jason Voorhees riding in on a reindeer, Right? We're, we're normally talking about love and grace and kindness and, and, and family and friendship. So even if Jesus doesn't make it into the conversations, these beautiful concepts are just ingrained into the season. They're ingrained into this time of year. But what the world uses to define this season of the year is what the Bible defines as the story of the gospel. During this short period of time from Thanksgiving to the end of the year, I don't know when you started your Christmas preparations, but typically it starts, for me, it starts after Thanksgiving because I actually want to celebrate Thanksgiving. So it starts after Thanksgiving, we, we move into the, the Christmas season, but during this short season of the year, people's hearts become like the Grinch, right? They grow three sizes that day, right? There's something about the Christmas season that makes people who were once mean snots somewhat kind, even during Christmas, But the story of Christmas, folks, is the story of the gospel. It's the story of Jesus. And this is a reality to those who know him 365 days a year. Now, I know that we we might say this all the time. It's kind of cliche that say Christmas is every day. But the reality of it is, is what people are longing for during this holiday season, what people are looking for during the Christmas time, this feeling of joy and hope, And peace is the day-to-day reality of the born-again, blood-bought child of God who has been redeemed by God's grace. This is not a holiday we put on the calendar. I don't have to put on the calendar, I hope I get to have peace this year during December. 
Jesus said, my peace I have given unto you. This is the reality of every born-again child of God. And Paul writes here to the Corinthians about the power of the gospel and the ministry that he's been given. Now, there's a whole lot in this passage of Scripture that we could get into, but what I want to focus mainly on is the main point of Paul's message. He says, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. In other words, Paul is saying, if I come to you, and when I leave, all you remember is me, then I've failed in my message. If all you remember is the eloquency of my speech, or my ability to tell good stories, right, or to just share with you my own personal anecdotes, but you don't find Jesus in what I say, then I have failed in what I have done. You know, no matter how, who gets up behind this pulpit or how good that they may preach or what things that they may do or how often you might laugh or how many notes that you say, and like, man, that's tweetable. No matter how good it might sound to us, if it doesn't point us directly to Jesus, then we've missed the whole point. It's kind of like the young girl that was a, a, a special speaker that had come to preach at our church one Sunday morning and he happened to be a little bit shorter than the pastor. And so while he was standing up there preaching, because he was short, you could see the stained glass window behind him that normally you couldn't see. And it was a stained glass window that had Jesus in it coming in the clouds. And so the little girl leaned over to her mom and said, where's the guy who's normally up there that blocks Jesus? Right? And unfortunately, many times, our message, our methods, the things that we do, instead of pointing people to Jesus, it starts becoming about us. It ends up blocking Jesus, right? Paul emphasizes this same point in his first letter to the Corinthians when he tells them he didn't want to know anything among them save what? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul told the Corinthians that his message was Jesus. The gospel, folks, is Jesus. And if there's anything he wanted them to remember, it was the beauty of the cross and the resurrection. Paul was saying, if we're going to talk, Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. As a church, God has called us to the ministry of the gospel. We are the body of Christ. And this gathering place, as we talked about a few weeks ago, is supposed to be a place of grace. And it's supposed to be a place where we point people to Jesus. Why? It's simple. Because no matter what else we may preach, no matter what else we may teach... What program or outreach or special event we can plan. It's only Jesus that can rescue sinners, that can deliver and restore and heal and set free. It's only Jesus. If we're going to truly make an impact in our world, we have to get back to what Paul told the Corinthians in chapter 11. is the simplicity that is in Christ. He said, I am worried that you might be beguiled by the enemy. Away from the simplicity of of Christ. Our message, our mission, our methods should be rooted in this one simple reality that we need to get Jesus to people and we need to get people to Jesus. Listen, people don't need our political views, they need Jesus. People don't need our judgment, our rules, our moral superiority, they need Jesus. 
The gospel is beautiful, but sometimes we make it ugly because of how we present it, because of how we live, because of the, the message gets muddled, messed up, because we add so much to it, or we water it down because we're afraid we might offend. Either way, we're not talking about Jesus. We're talking about something else. We're spending more time trying to win people over to our ideologies or our philosophies that we forget. That they might think like us, but they still aren't saved. Every soul needs rescued. Every heart needs a savior. Every life needs changed. We need Jesus. When we focus on Jesus, people can see what Paul says, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When we focus people's attention on the Savior, when we focus people's attention on the life changer, the healer, the deliverer, then this is when we see the beauty of the gospel. See, one of the most powerful things about my mother's testimony is how her heart was captured by the beauty of Jesus. Those of you who knew my mom, who had the opportunity to to know my mom, she was a woman of faith. She was a woman who loved to worship. She was a woman who loved to love, not just her family, but but other people around her. She was a woman who walked with a simple reality that she just believed God. She just believed the Bible. She just believed what God had to say. But one of the wonderful things about her testimony is that she saw beauty in the gospel. The, The Bible says that it is the goodness of God that draws us to repentance. It is God's goodness that draws us to a place of repentance. It's that which really truly opens our heart when we recognize how good God is. And this was my mom's testimony. She didn't come to Jesus out of fear of hell or because of the expectations of other people or because she was worried God's judgment was on her life. No, to, to her, Jesus was simply good. The gospel was beautiful. The message of Jesus showed her a God that loved her, that went to all lengths to redeem her and call her own. And she had no problem surrendering to that Jesus. And I'll admit to you, we have many times not painted that type of beautiful Jesus. Whether it's by our message or by the way we live, we've not painted the simplicity of the wonderful goodness and grace of God. That every single one of us in here who are saved, who are born again, who have a relationship with God, we are in this place simply because God is good. Simply because His grace reached us when we could not get to Him. Simply because mercy found us in our darkness. Mercy found us in our hopelessness. Mercy found us in our sin. And folks, that's a beautiful message. Mario Marillo said, I may have mentioned this to you, Mario Marillo said that the, the, the church is telling the truth badly, but the, the world is lying well. Right? So, so lots of times what we see is that the lie seems so beautiful while the truth seems so ugly. But we're not recognizing where the truth should send us. The truth shouldn't send you to church. The truth shouldn't send you to a political idea. The church shouldn't send you to the, the message. The truth shouldn't send you to some philosophy. The truth sends you to Jesus. The problem is, is that we maul up all this stuff. We corrupt the power of the message. 
because we focus on religion instead of Jesus. There's a, there's a song that says, the world is on their way to you, but they're tripping over me. And that happens lots of times, that the world is trying to find their way to Jesus, but we're tripping them. We're tripping them because of how we live. We're tripping them because of the message that we bring. We're, we're tripping them because we're saying one thing and living another way. We're tripping them because instead of coming to them with Jesus, we're coming to them with rules, with judgment, with regulations. See, I believe that we live in a time of what's called deconstruction right now. Deconstructing our faith has become a very popular term. We find people that are that are one time who had a relationship with God or had a deep faith in Christ now are deconstructing their faith. They're, they're looking at their faith and, and wondering whether or not it's something that they want to follow after. And, and I believe that many who have walked away from the faith have had an encounter with, rigid, with religion, but never really had an encounter with Jesus. They've experienced the weight of religion, but not the soul-freeing power of Jesus. They've seen the ugliness of fear-motivated religion, but haven't truly seen the beauty of the unconditional love and grace of Jesus. Jesus is wonderful. He's beautiful. He's grace. Jesus is the answer. Church, we need to talk about Jesus. We need to talk about Jesus. See, when we focus on religion, or when we focus on what I call churchianity, not Christianity, but churchianity, right? Well, we go to church and we do the church things and we put on the church face and we wear the church clothes and we say all the churchy things. Most of you in here can talk church talk. Y'all know how to talk like the church. You've been in church long enough. Some of you have been raised in church. You know all the phrases. We're churchy. And in doing so, lots of times we find ourselves ending up going through motions and robotic movements. We go through obligations and fulfilling religious duties, but yet we don't really have a real relationship with Jesus. When we do religion in church, we're pointing people to something that can only help them on the surface. Don't get me wrong, I'm a, I'm a fan of church. Y'all know that. I believe we ought to go to church. I believe we should be connected in church. I believe that we should serve in church. I believe that God has planted us in a church. I believe that God gives us a family through church, that this is the place we are supposed to be. I completely and totally agree with with that. But church is only a place where we're supposed to be filled so that we can go and fill the world. It's a place where we're supposed to be taught so that we can go and touch others and love others with the grace of Jesus. Church is supposed to be where we connect and find strength so that we can go out and strengthen others. Church only helps us on a certain surface level many times, but our hearts have to be rooted in the simplicity of Jesus. Folks, there has to come a time where your faith becomes your faith. Where you're not believing what mom and dad told you, or you're not believing what the preacher is preaching, or you're not believing simply what you were raised under, but because you have literally gripped the faith for yourself and it has become yours. Religion deals with the fruit, but never deals with the root. It starts on the outside and then tries to fix what's on the inside. And this is not how God works. And this is not how the gospel works. See, lots of times 
when we talk about Christianity and when the world talks about Christianity, they, they, they talk about all the rules, all the, the, the moral and ethical things that are placed upon our lives and how hard it is to live as a Christian and to follow the, the ethical uh, standards and moral standards of Christianity. And I'll be the first to admit, no, it's not always easy to be good. You know why it's not easy to be good? Because we can't be good. Right? Christianity is the religion that teaches that God's not so much concerned about what you're doing as he is about who you're becoming. That if who, who you are doesn't change, then what you do never will. You can only be motivated by fear for so long. You can only be motivated by willpower and a, and a commitment to a rule for so long before you start to rebel against it. Christianity, church, is not about come and and live by these rules. It's come and know. Come and know Him. The message of the gospel is not meant to try to make bad people good. It's a message that says that dead people can be alive, that the lost can be found, that the blind can see, that God does miracles in our hearts and transforms us into new people. Now, yes, the truth of the gospel says that we are lost, that we're dead in our trespasses, that our lives are on the road to ruin if we continue in our sins. The problem is is that many times the road of sin doesn't look ruinous. It doesn't look destructive. It doesn't look bad. It might be a six-lane highway. That's the problem with sin. It's getting you to the exit fast. But eventually you're going to find out it's a dead end. It's a road that leads to destruction and ruin. The gospel does tell us that. But the answer to sin is to not be more religious. The answer to our sinful hearts and our brokenness is not to be a better person or to up your church attendance or to do more good deeds. Hopefully we don't have a calendar at home and maybe we're putting our own star up there for attending church. Look at all my gold stars. I get to draw from the treasure box. You know, there was a law, I believe it was in Jamestown, that if you missed three Sundays in a row, you could actually be put in jail. How many of you would feel if I came after you if you missed three Sundays? I arrested you. We put you in stocks out in the parking lot. And people flogged you when they came in. Yeah, heathens. The answer to our our sin-broken hearts, uh, uh, the answer to the darkness and that which separates us from God is not to be more religious. It's not to up our church attendance or be a better person. The answer is the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God shining into our hearts. It is us finally surrendering to this wonderful, beautiful, glorious, powerful, life-changing Jesus who transforms us from the inside out. Please don't confuse the fact that you may go to church or that you may keep the commandments of God to the letter better than anyone else with having a real relationship with God. Please don't confuse religion with the reality of who Jesus is. Now, don't get me wrong. 
Religion is not necessarily a bad word. It's not a, it's not a cuss word. The Bible tells us to be religious. It even defines for us in James what true religion is. I get it. Religion just means a, a passionate adherence to a certain set of beliefs. Truly, that is Christianity. I get it. But we also know that it's more than that. You know, Christianity doesn't just say, go to church on Sunday, pray the Lord's Prayer five times a day facing Jerusalem, and give to the poor, and you'll be right with God. That's not what Christianity teaches. But most religions have that type of form. Most religions have that type of, of, of standard or setup that if you want to get to God, you have to do. You have to do. And so it pours over into our lives. We're all being, we're all being promoted because of our performances. We're all getting raises because it's based on our performance. Don't get me wrong. I get it. You're lazy. You shouldn't get a raise. You don't do your job, you get fired. It's not a shock, right? But the concept of Christianity is so upside down that many people can't even understand. It doesn't even make sense. It blows their minds. Are you telling me that I don't have to perform to get God to notice me? That I don't have to clean up my own life in order for God to want me? No, you don't have to do any of that. Jesus did that on the cross. Jesus did that through his blood. All we're called to do is surrender. All we're called to do is allow him to rescue us. Listen, I get it. You don't have to like me. I don't always meet the standards. I don't always do it right. I know that there's been times that I've made people feel condemned or judged or, or, or whatever. I mean, part of that's just being a pastor. I think I mentioned to you not too long ago, you see somebody out at the store. They haven't been at church for three weeks. I'm pointing at the stockade, right? You ain't seen them in three weeks, and they just start hiding behind the aisle. Oh, dear Lord, here comes the pastor. I get it. I understand. I understand all of that. But the fact of the matter is, if you're here because you want me to see you, then you probably shouldn't even be here. Right? I mean, if, if, if you're here because you want somebody else to see you, if you're, if you're here simply because of obligation or, or, or duty, what, why are we here? <laughs> and what are we pointing to? We're pointing to Jesus. So please don't confuse the fact that we may go to church or keep commandments. The Pharisees had to come face to face with this reality without getting into a big history of the, of the Pharisees but they were some of the most zealous Jews of Jesus' time. They're the ones who walked around with what were called phylacteries, where they would tie boxes of, of scriptures to their arms or to their foreheads, and they would walk around showing their holiness. Jesus even said that. You remember the, you remember the, uh, the, the, uh, the parable that he told uh, about the, the tax collector and the Pharisee, and the Pharisee says, I, you know, I fast three days a week, and and uh, I keep the law, and I do all of these things. And then the, the publican just says, well, Lord, be merciful unto me, a sinner. And Jesus said that guy walked away more justified than this Pharisee did. Right? They believed that in ple- pleasing God was a meticulous following of a long list of religious rules. The Torah, uh, as it is called, or what is the law of Moses that obviously contains the Ten Commandments. The Torah, which is mainly located within the book of Exodus, Leviticus, 
Deuteronomy, but the Torah itself contains 613 commandments given to the Israelites. 613 commandments. And I want you to remember, in the garden, before Adam and Eve rebelled, how many commandments were there? One. One commandment. Don't eat from the tree. You know what that means? Sin complicates everything. It complicates everything. 613 commandments given to the Israelites. But over time, the Jewish leaders slowly added to these laws in what is known now as the Mishnah. The Mishnah is basically Jewish commentaries that rabbis would use to help interpret the Torah. And it soon became elevated to equal to the Torah. And if you ever notice, when Jesus attacks what the Pharisees teach or the religious leaders believe, he never attacks the Torah, he attacks the Mishnah. He attacks their interpretation of the law, not the law itself. But what the, the, what the Jewish people had done is they had elevated these commentaries to equal the Torah. It's kind of like uh, Finnis Dake being the 13th apostle, right? Sometimes we use study Bibles and we look at the notes on the side as if it's the gospel. Nothing against Phineas Dake. The man could quote the New Testament. I give you props for that. But over time, what they did was they, they, they decided that we're going to make the Torah the same as the Mishnah. So the Pharisees not only strove to or strived to, to keep the Torah, the 613 commandments, but they also tried to, to keep the Mishnah. The most, you know, your normal everyday Jews during that time, they weren't trying to do that, but the Pharisees did. But Jesus told these folks, not, not the prostitute, not the tax collector, not the ones that people felt were at the lowest point or the lowest rung on the ladder. He told these people that you are whitewashed stones and full of dead men's bones. That you are hypocrites and vipers. He even said, you will travel the whole world trying to make proselytes and you'll make them twice the child of hell as yourself. Jesus even told them, you can't handle the truth. He said that before, uh, before a few good men did. He said, you can't even hear what I'm saying because you're of your father, the devil. Here are these Pharisees walking around with scriptures strapped to their foreheads. And Jesus said, your father is the devil. It's not a very encouraging word. Why? Because they had become more concerned about the letter of the law and less about the intent behind it. The law is meant to drive us to God, to recognize that our hope is not found in our efforts, but in surrendering to His grace. God wants our hearts, not our outward expressions of religious duty or obligation. If you read Isaiah chapter 1, in Isaiah chapter 1, God gives a scathing rebuke of the people of God. And He, he tells them, you know, I don't want your ceremonies. I don't want your Sabbaths. I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want your new moons. And I'm sure as the prophet Isaiah was saying this to the people, that it was confusing to them. Because the people were saying, God is the one who told us to do these things. 
The law tells me I'm supposed to sacrifice and keep the Sabbath and, and, and pay attention to the seasons and the, and, the, and the cycle of the moon and that I'm supposed to, to, to keep all of these laws. But God said in Isaiah, I don't want it anymore. I don't want it anymore. Why? Because he didn't have their heart. He didn't have their heart. Jesus said, well, did Isaiah speak of you? You acknowledge God with your mouth, but your hearts are far from me. And so enter Jesus. He is the Word made flesh. He is the fulfillment of the law, living the life that we couldn't live and dying the death that was meant for us to die. Don't mix the message of the gospel of grace with the corruption of the works of the flesh. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. Listen, it's not our job to try to fix everyone's behavior. We can't even fix our own. It's not our job to fix everybody's behavior. It's our calling to share the gospel. It's our calling to talk about Jesus. Let the process of following Jesus work into people's hearts. And behavior will change. If we point people to Jesus and they truly start following him, they'll change. They may not become who you want them to become, but they'll become who Jesus wants them to become. And that's the beautiful work of sanctification. Through the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives, their mindset changes. The worldviews will begin to change as they are sanctified and set apart by God. How they see things, how they respond, who they are and what they believe will begin to change because of the grace of God. What we need to do is keep pointing people to Jesus. The light of truth will always expose darkness. And if we start with Jesus, and if people have truly met Jesus, the darkness will be dealt with by God's grace. And that's the message of the gospel. It's not my job to try to fix your fruit. Yes, we're going to preach about what it means to follow Jesus, what it looks like to follow Jesus. Yeah, we're going to preach about holiness and the damages of sin. We're going to preach about commandments and what God has commanded us to do as believers. But if it doesn't come from here, it doesn't matter how many hoops you jump through. It doesn't matter how many religious activities you get involved in. You can fool all of us. But if it's not here, then we haven't been changed. Listen, I don't have to fix behavior if we fix the heart. Maybe you're someone here today that has felt the weight of religion, the fear that comes from not staying in line, the pressure of trying to perform. And I'm not asking you to try religion. I'm asking you, have you ever come to Jesus? Because he's beautiful. Even when the church is ugly, even when religion is ugly, even when you may have been hurt or burned or abandoned by those who say they are followers of Jesus, even if me, even if I or some other pastor has let you down, I'm not asking you to join the church right now. I'm asking you to consider Jesus. If you are lost, he can find you. If you have questions, he's the answer. If you're racked with doubt and uncertainty, He loves you even still. And if you need to find a way out, let's talk about Jesus. He'll make a way for you. He'll make a way for you wherever you are. And whatever 
doubts or uncertainties you may may have, whatever fears that you may wrestle with, it all comes back to Jesus. And so I'm asking you here this morning, as we head into this Christmas season, I'm not asking you, are you a church person? I'm not asking you if you're a good person. I'm asking, have you ever met Jesus? Do you know him? Have you been born again? Maybe you're in this room today and you're just worn out. You're tired. You've been trying to perform. And you can't. That's because you've got to surrender to his grace. This is the message of Christmas. This is the message of the gospel. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's find hope in him. Because he is good. And his mercy endures forever. Bow your heads with me here this morning. Father, we are eternally grateful for your grace. Eternally grateful for your kindness. Thank you, Lord, for being good. Thank you, God, that in spite of our failures, in spite of our mistakes, you remain faithful still. And Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would capture our hearts during this season. That you would capture our hearts, Lord, that we would get back to the simplicity of Jesus. The simplicity of following you, the simplicity of prayer and worship, the simplicity of knowing you. And I pray for every heart, Lord, that has been distracted by the world, distracted by sin, or just distracted by the busyness of life. Every heart here this morning that has been weighed down by the cares of this life. Every heart here this morning that has felt the weight of religion, the weight of of the do's and the don'ts and the performance mentality, that today would be a day that they would experience your grace. That they would see Jesus for the first time. Lord, rescue every broken heart. Rescue, God, every uncertain heart here this morning. Show us the beauty of the gospel. Show us the beauty of Jesus. Show us the beauty of your goodness. We've come to talk about you, Jesus.